Good morning. Uh, my name is Ryan Vincent. For those of you who don't know who I am, I am a part of our uh, adult ministry team, and I'll be with you during this part of the service this morning. But we do have a couple of housekeeping things I'd like to take care of beforehand. Um, last week of the year, lots of events going on, and as we go into next year. So here is um, the service schedule for the next couple of weeks. This Saturday evening at 5.30 will be our Christmas Eve service. And for those of you who are regulars, you'll know that you probably want to get here a little early. It fills up pretty quickly. So that's 5.30 in here, um, Saturday evening. And then for the next two Sundays, Christmas morning and New Year's Day, we'll only be having one service at 10 o'clock. So no Sunday school, one service. And on Christmas Day, that service will actually not be in here. It will be in the gym. At 10 o'clock, and as you can see, we thought it would be a great idea to have some breakfast together beforehand. So we'll be having a pancake breakfast at 9.15 in the gym. Now, if you guys would do us a little favor, if you intend on coming, this is where it is totally kosher to bring your phone out in church, text breakfast to that phone number so that we can plan accordingly uh, based on how many people we expect to come. So if you're going to be here on Christmas morning and you intend to come to breakfast, let us know, either by texting breakfast to this number or there's a sign-up sheet out in the lobby. Um, you can sign up on your way out the door if that's easier. Also coming up is our next men's encounter. It's um, February 27th, 28th, and 29th. And registrations, um, if you sign up by the first, you actually save a little bit of money. So one of the ways that you can sign up is to just text this number, men's encounter. No apostrophe, just plural, men's encounter. Um, and, and that'll be, and you can also do all this stuff on the website. And if you need any additional information or you missed it, it's all in the back of your bulletin. So those things, um, keep that in mind. We hope to see you Saturday night as well as Sunday morning. Um, if last, if last week's message was Christmas out of John, um, this week we're going to do Christmas out of the gospel of Mark, which has perhaps even less to do with Christmas than, than John's gospel, but I hope to make a case for um, the contrary, actually. As Jody pointed out, this is a really busy time of year, and um, many of us are caught frantically running around from appointment to appointment, or from family to family, visiting people, buying gifts, getting them wrapped, making candy, delivering baked goods, all this. We've got to get our Christmas cards out. It's a busy time of year. And uh, if you're like me, and uh, I'll admit to being somewhat of a pessimist, if you're like me, you can find yourself wondering, is all of this worth it? Like, I'm expending so much effort and going through all these extra hoops to do these things, and in two years, will anyone care? In 20 years, will anyone remember? And the truth is, history has a really selective memory. If I'm very honest with myself, much of what I say and do will in time, if not sooner than I would like, be lost to memory. You see, the world doesn't really care what Ryan Vincent's up to, and much of what we do in our home will just kind of drift away. But there are some things, um, because they end up being much more significant, that we just, they, they, they sear themselves into our memories. 30 years ago, um, around this time, I would have been uh, nearly two years old. 
I was laying in a hospital bed at Lawton Memorial Hospital in Lawton, Oklahoma, and I was there for 11 days. I had somehow contracted spinal meningitis, um, and this is a bacterial infection that, started, that caused my spinal cord to swell up, putting pressure on the brainstem, and uh, went in and out of coma several times, and just generally lethargic and unconscious for about 11 days. In the mid-80s, that's a pretty fatal thing for a kid that's not even two years old. The, the, the mortality rate was high if you contract this particular disease. And my parents were told, you should get ready to say goodbye. He's probably not going to wake up. Um, I did wake up by God's grace. But what keeps that from becoming just an isolated fact about my life is its long-standing significance. Because here I am 30 years after the fact, and it, and it still affects me. Um, it, the way that it messes with your muscular system, I had to relearn how to walk. Two years old, biggest kid around, crawling. I had to relearn how to walk, but I'm fine now. Um, the other side effect that uh, I, I still have is uh, the most common one for spinal meningitis is significant hearing loss. So my left ear is completely dead, and I've never used it as far as I, until I was two, I guess I used it. But in my world, I've never heard sound in stereo. I don't know what that's like. It's always just been mono. People always laugh. Why are you wearing two headphones? Because it looks weird when I just dangle one. But <laughs> I've, never, I've never been able to hear out of my left ear. My right ear has about 30% loss. So um, I can hear 70% of what you can in this ear and 0% of what you can in this ear. Which means that much of what you say, if I'm not looking at you, I don't hear. So if you think, wow, he's really ignoring me, maybe, but probably not. <laughs> it's likely I just didn't see you and therefore I didn't know you were talking to me. Now, I was fortunate, my parents, told, my parents were told that, that it's fortunate it happened to him young if it's going to happen to him because he's still learning to talk. And so as I learned to, to speak, part of me learning how to, to talk like you guys do is I rely far less on sound than I read your lips much more. It's just how I learned to talk. So if I'm watching you when you're talking to me, I will hear the sounds that are kind of incomplete, and I'll match that to whatever it is I see your lips saying, and, I, and we can talk. This is something that my wife has learned to live with. She just instinctively knows to always walk on this side of me. Um, I think she kind of freaks other people out because it's just habit, so she'll do it to them. She'll kind of scurry around to get on their good side. and Everybody, they all have two good sides, but... The other thing is that because I only have one working ear, I can't tell direction. I can tell distance, but I have no idea where sound is coming from. Because for you, sound hits both of your ears at, a different, uh, at different times, and therefore you know where it's coming from. I can't do that. So when Rachel's yelling at me in the house, I have to yell back, identify your location. I don't know where that sound is coming from. So that is something that is um, a fact about my life, but that has long-term significance. There are other things that I remember about, a boy, uh, about my, my childhood is we'd all, around this time during Christmas, we'd go to my grandparents' house. They, they lived in a real little house on Lake Keystone over in Manford. And we would all go over there, all the Vincent clan, and, the, and it's me and my sister and then all of our cousins. And the Vincent family is like 15 boys and two girls. So you pack us into one little house and it is just chaos. So even if it's negative 10 degrees, Grandpa would send us outside to play stickball in the, in the street. We just can't have all this testosterone in the house. And 
So we would play stickball in the street. That, that's Christmas to me. We, one of us, I mean, we have enough boys, one of us would always have a stash of fireworks handy. So we'd, we'd have Roman candle wars at Christmas. Or one of us had smuggled in some bottle rockets from the great state of Missouri, and that's what we would do. And then when it was time for dinner, we'd go in and we'd eat, and it would be crazy, and then we'd all go into the living room, and our game, and this is our, the Vincent tradition, is we would take the youngest kid that had recently learned how to read and make them read the Christmas story out of the King James Version of the Bible. It was hilarious. Now, when I'm like nine, ten years old, and my cousin is stammering through the King James Bible, I'm like furious, because this is taking us too long to get to presents. But this is what we did. And that's my experience of Christmas as a boy. And so I have lots of memories seared in. And I remember lots of quotations from Matthew and Luke where we'd be reading about Christmas. I remember um, the angel saying, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And as a young boy, you kind of ask, what does that name mean? That's a strange name. It means God with us. That's what I remember about Christmas. And I imagine as the early church is reflecting on this, even as Jesus is a boy and, and his family is reflecting on this prophecy, you know, I wonder what their memories were about. Perhaps thinking of other times where God was with us, their minds going back to Eden. God with Adam and Eve. Their minds always going back to the Exodus where God is himself escorting the people out through Moses and the pillar of fire and the cloud of smoke. Their minds would go back to that other time when God is with them in the tabernacle in that very special and powerful way or definitely to the dedication of Solomon's temple when the spirit descends on the temple and God's presence is so overwhelming the priests run for their lives. And to the fact that they no longer have such a relationship with God and to all they know that temple that they have, Herod's temple that they now worship at doesn't have God's presence like that. And they wonder... When will this actually take place? We'll call his name Emmanuel. One of the other things that I remember is um, wise men. That's a great part of the Christmas story. They show up at Herod's door. said, where is he who's been born king of the Jews? Okay, that's interesting to a little boy. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? I wonder what Mary and Joseph thought. Thinking through, yeah, we had Saul, he was okay, and then really not okay. And then we had David, and he was great. King after God's own heart. And then we had Solomon, who wasn't bad at first, but then he started to marry women who taught him to worship other gods, and it just went chaos from there. And then we didn't even have our own kings. We became subject to the Assyrian king, and then we actually were taken into Babylon, and we were part of another empire. And even when we came back, we were, we were still just a little backwater country. We no longer had a prominent king on the throne. Assyria, they ruled us for a while. Then Egypt again. Finally, Rome. Where is he who's been born king of the Jews? And all the while they're sitting there saying, yeah, but like Caesar's king. And I the, the story that was probably the most interesting to me was after Jesus had been born, his parents take him to the temple. And then there's this old woman and old man who've been waiting their whole life to see this baby. 
a prophetess named Anna, and then another man named Simeon. And for whatever reason, Simeon knows to look at this child and say, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of the peoples. He looked at this baby and said, there's something here that's important. I wonder, regarding salvation, what the what Peter thought, James, John, what'd they think? Before Jesus ever calls them as disciples, what did they think about salvation? They think probably to Abraham, to that covenant God made with him that would never be nullified, that Abraham's name would be great, that the nation would be populated, and that they would have their own land. Maybe to Moses, the law given. Moses takes them out of Egypt in the Exodus. That seems like salvation. Maybe to the Davidic covenant that we're going to have a king that will lead us forever, that sits on David's throne forever. But then Malachi prophesies and God stops speaking. And they're all left wondering, when is this salvation going to come? Now, it's interesting, if you're talking about the name Emmanuel and men seeking a child king, and then this man and this woman longing for salvation, Mark doesn't bother with any of that. Mark skips 30 years ahead. It's not as though Mark ignores it. Mark just tells us why it matters. Now, let's look at Mark's... um, Perspective, his much wider perspective on the Christmas story. Because he looks at the baby, he looks at the nativity, he looks at the manger, at the shepherds, at the angels, and he says, good story, glad we have it elsewhere, let me tell you why it matters. And so he starts with the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he follows that with, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, rather than starting with a baby, Mark pushes it further back and starts to quote prophetic texts in Mark 1, um, verse 2. Now, before we read through the quotations, it's important to know he's attributing this to Isaiah, but it's it's a bit of a conglomeration of passages. I'm going to get really nerdy and excited as I read through these first 15 verses of Mark's gospel because Mark has been... um, I think wrongly um, described as a simple gospel, a plain gospel, a gospel that just left out all the good stuff, a gospel that just kind of to the point. Now Mark is blunt, even terse, and he moves quickly. But to call it simple would be a crime, I think, against a very, very incredible, very rich passage. You see, Mark masterfully weaves Old Testament texts. He only quotes two, but watch him weave all of these passages together and pull out and say, let me talk to you about the gospel from a wider perspective. So, verse one, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet, he says, behold, I send my messenger before your face. Now that's not even Isaiah. That's actually a quotation from Exodus 23. 
when God is leading the people out and he says, I'm going to care for you in the wilderness, I'm going to use Moses to lead you out, and I will send my messenger or angel, same word, before you, to care for you, to deliver you from slavery, from bondage. And Mark will start to weave these ideas together into the ministry of Jesus Christ. I will send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The who will prepare your way is a quotation from Malachi 3. Now Malachi is a fascinating book where God is livid with his people because they've become lethargic. They have become a people that mock him with their sacrifices and their tithes. In Malachi he says he doesn't even want them anymore. And the God whose way is being prepared is going to return himself. Yahweh himself will come back and judge and purify. Now, if you're an Israelite who's bent on a life of holiness and allegiance to God, that sounds like great news. When will this end? Come fix it. If you're playing games with God, that's horrible news. But nevertheless, it says, God will come. It's not some prophet. It's not some ambassador or delegate. It's God himself will return. I send my messenger before you, Allah, Exodus 23, who will prepare your way, Allah, Malachi 3. Then he says, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. This is a reference to Isaiah 40, where the idea is introduced of the new Exodus, the new Jerusalem, the the eschatological kingdom, the end times kingdom where God will come and set things right and not only will the people be good, but God himself will dwell with them once more. As it is written, I send my messenger before your face. That messenger, we'll find him in just a second, who will prepare the very way of God himself And that messenger will be one crying in the wilderness to prepare the way of the Lord and make his path straight. The new exodus is here. Mark is setting the scene saying, what we've longed for is now about to take place. And then look at the very next word. John appeared. John appeared. The messenger's here. The messenger's here. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance For the forgiveness of sins. Now, just an aside on baptism and John. Baptism as we experience it is not something that the Jewish people would have been familiar with. You would cleanse yourself for ceremonial reasons, but that was you would cleanse yourself. You weren't baptized. You also didn't baptize Jews, you baptized Gentiles who are becoming Jews. So John is all of a sudden baptizing native Israelites for the forgiveness of sins. This is new. This is something crazy that is about to happen. And I think he's telling them, get ready. The new exodus is coming. It is coming. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. He's saying, get right, because God is coming back. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and he ate locusts and honey. We won't go into how that connects, but just know that that is connecting him to Elijah, which Jesus will reiterate later on in the gospel. So John has appeared. The messenger is here. And then look at the very next line. And he preached. 
The voice of one crying in the wilderness is now crying in the wilderness. Here's what he preached. After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. Now, when disciples would follow a rabbi, they would do anything that rabbi wanted, but they wouldn't untie his sandals. That's beneath even the role of a disciple, of a follower. That's servant's work. Now, what is John the Baptist saying? The man who Jesus will say is the greatest man born to woman, all of a sudden says, I can't even untie his shoes. He's that much greater than me. This is the voice crying in the wilderness, paving the way for God himself to return. And watch how Mark cries, I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. An Old Testament allusion to the baptism of purification and the purging of wickedness from righteousness. He says, the one that's coming is gonna do some amazing things. And the one that's coming is God himself. And then in typical Mark and fashion, he just goes on. In those days, Jesus came. Mark can be accused of many things, but subtlety really isn't one of them. He's saying the one that John the Baptist is paving the way for is here. He's God himself. In those days, Jesus came. God has returned. He came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Now, you're about to see a bunch of Old Testament references tumble over one another, and you'll have to just be patient with me because I'm about to get really nerdy excited. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open. It reminds me of Isaiah 64, where Isaiah the prophet is at the end of his ministry. He is, he is, the, his book is 66 chapters long. He's at the very end. He is agonizing for God to come and set things right. He is longing for this new heavens and new earth, for the new Jerusalem to take place. He wants God to do what he has promised to do. And in Isaiah 64, he says, Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you. Isaiah says, God, tear apart that which separates us. Come down and set things right. Come back. We long for Emmanuel, for God with us. It's not the only thing that's torn. Mark tells, actually gives us two more stories of the transfiguration. The heavens rip open again. And Jesus is transfigured in all of his glory. Moses and Elijah talking about his exodus. In Mark 15, Magi were seeking a king. In Mark 15, we see that king crowned on the cross. And again, something tears. The, he breathes his last breath and the temple veil tears from top to bottom. And then you have a declaration given by the Roman soldiers standing there watching this happen. It says, surely this is the Son of God. Back to Mark 1. He came up out of the water. Immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice from heaven said, you are my beloved Son. With you I am well pleased. God said it. You see it in the transfiguration. And then at his death. The soldier affirms it. In his baptism, Jesus, I think, is coronated king. He's anointed. 
At his crucifixion, he's crowned. Wise men came seeking a king. Mark tells us where they found him. Now look at this too. A voice came from heaven, you are my beloved son. My mind runs back to Genesis 22. Abraham, I want you to take your only son, your beloved son, sacrifice him to me. We're later told that Abraham was obedient to that, not only out of just pure obedience, but because he trusted that God would resurrect him from the dead. Sounds familiar. You are my beloved son. When he calls him a son, he's referencing 2 Samuel 7, where God, through the prophet Nathan, tells King David, you will always have an heir on the throne, and I will be to him as a father. An idea that is reiterated in Psalm 2. So we have God giving up his son. His son will be king's heir and then don't forget this last line with you i am well pleased the lord says of jesus a line stolen from isaiah 42 about the lord's servant the servant who we all know in isaiah 53 will be that suffering servant broken on our behalf in one sentence god affirms that jesus is his son is the king of kings and will die on behalf of all the people Can't say Mark doesn't say anything about Christmas. All Mark is doing is affirming everything that was set in motion by this little baby in a manger. God has returned, and his name is Jesus, and God is king. And here is him being anointed as such. And then it goes on, verse 14. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Anna and Simeon were longing for that time when salvation would finally arrive. And Jesus says, it's here. The kingdom of God is at hand. We have a king. He has a kingdom. Therefore, what? What do we do? Repent and believe in the gospel. We repent and believe in the gospel. Now, you might say, still, I prefer Matthew and Luke's version of Christmas. And I don't want to take that away, actually. I just want to do what Mark does and widen it a bit. Make it a little more complex and rich. Because I'll actually argue that a baby in the manger is of no real significance if none of this takes place. If he isn't crowned the king, if he doesn't inaugurate the kingdom, if he doesn't go to the cross and die, if he doesn't get out of the ground on Resurrection Sunday, the fact that God was incarnate as a baby is inconsequential. Mark doesn't tell us the story of Christmas. He tells us why Christmas matters. And I think that we need to do a, um, a good job of telling that whole story because if not, then Christmas can just become sentiment and nothing else. If Christmas isn't about the gospel, then what's the point? Talking only about the birth narratives and never about what Jesus came and did and what, that, what implications it has on our life. It's like, it's like showing a child a handful of seeds, but never connecting that to a flower. It's like teaching your kid the ABCs and never teaching them to read. 
It's helping someone find middle C on that piano and then never showing them what a song sounds like. You need one with the other. It's incomplete if you don't get to the end. It's like love without justice. If we go back to John's gospel, it's like grace without truth. And if we're not careful, if we just love the sentimental side of Christmas, then we could end up with deep affection for a Savior without a deep allegiance to the Lord. And by the end of it, we could be just sitting around the fire singing Silent Night and never find a reason to sing Amazing Grace. Um, if we never tell the full story of Christmas, we find ourselves celebrating a cheap story about a baby because we'll never get to the part about the costly discipleship. So Mark's gospel helps us see that Christmas is much bigger than a baby or a manger or shepherds in a field. Mark tells us that Christmas is about God himself returning to set things right. It's about God himself coming as the king of kings and it's about God himself inaugurating the kingdom and a kingdom, the price of citizenship in that kingdom is daily repentance and belief, as Mark 1.15 tells us. Um, I'm pretty convinced that the full story of Jesus is what Christmas is all about, and I think those are the stories we should tell one another as we gather around the fire. I'm gonna have Steve come up and play for just a minute. I have no interest in stealing Christmas joy from you. I have no interest in making Matthew and Luke seem like lesser than Gospels. But we have four for a reason. And I, while John happens to be my favorite, I'm convinced we need all four. I'm convinced that when we do, incarnation fuses with the Gospel and that breeds worship. And so what I want to challenge you to do, actually, is to to reflect for a few moments on your Christmas traditions and consider whether or not one of them might need to change or be modified or if you need new ones. Because if Christmas is always um, merriment and warm cocoa, um, we can miss the point. And the gospel is always the point. So take a few minutes, pray, reflect. Think through um, what God might be calling you to not only do, but change your mind about. After all, that's what repentance means. What are some ways that this Christmas you can truly live as a citizen of God's kingdom? by actively repenting and believing in him. Take a few minutes. God, we are grateful for this season and for the deep and overwhelming joy that comes with it and for all the excitement. We are truly grateful. I pray that you would widen our perspective on Christmas. 
help our hearts to focus on you, on your character, on your plan, on the person and work of your son, and on the redemptive nature of Christmas. God, we thank you that you have torn the heavens and come down. never cheapen the story of the incarnation by leaving it there. Give us hearts that have a growing affection for you and a deep hunger for your word. Make us a community that is filled with light to all the nations. Spirit work in incredible ways through us. Thank you for inviting us into the mission of the church. And thank you for that servant king. Thank you for your faithfulness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. dismissed or asked that you'll be careful driving out in the weather um, and if you if you would rather instead of texting and letting us know if you plan to be here Christmas morning there is again a sign-up sheet out there we would really appreciate it go be safe be warm love you guys see you Saturday night at 5 30.